Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. I think we're still enough that our answers are going to be the exact same. Can I just say everything she said? <laughs> NSL Double Talk featuring Tracy Pollan and Dana Corwin. Their topic today is the future of food. Tracy Pollan is an Emmy-nominated actress who has enjoyed a successful career in television, film, and on the Broadway stage. She is the New York Times best-selling author of Mostly Plants and multiple award-winning The Pollan Family Table. She wrote both books with her sisters Dana and Lori and their mother, Corky. She notably played Ellen Reed on the hit comedy series Family Ties, where she met her husband, Michael J. Fox. Tracy has served on the board of the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's research since its inception in 2000. Dana was the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine for over 20 years, where she was responsible for all aspects of the award-winning brand. She was inducted into the prestigious James Beard Foundation's Who's Who of Food and Beverage in America and is the author of Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, Learning to Cook with 65 Great Chefs and Over 100 Delicious Recipes. Most recently, Dana has launched a podcast called Speaking Broadly, in which she extracts lessons for success from extraordinary women in the food world. We are so excited to welcome Tracy and Dana to NSL Double Talk. Hey, Tracy. Hi, Dana. It's so fun to be on this podcast with you because we have so many incredible touch points. One of them is that when I was at House and Garden, decades ago. I knew your mom. (laughs) I would be in the market looking for objects and, you know, I would always look to see what your mother had found and she was such an icon. What was it like growing up with an iconic mom? When I was very little, she didn't work. She um, went back to school and she got her master's degree and then we moved into the city when I was around 11 and she got the job at New York Magazine and she's sort of she, the Best Bets column was just a very small column at the time, and she was the one who grew that and turned it into that iconic column. And because of that, she found all of these amazing stores in New York and products. And so walking around Manhattan with her, walking into stores, it was like walking with the greatest celebrity, you know. She was like Jackie O. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, everybody wanted her to cover them because it meant... Everyone would know about them. Right, exactly. She was like the biggest Manhattan megaphone. And she was so careful about doing everything exactly by the books and, you know, not accepting any gifts. And if she had already done something, being careful to try to include somebody else. And for her to do your product and best bets meant that your store was going to take off. And you are incredibly close to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, we are. You did a cookbook together. Now, I've think that's an incredible feat. Just because having done a cookbook myself, there's a lot that goes into it because you have to come up with the idea. In your case, it was family recipes, so maybe that's the easy part. The first one, yeah, was family, Paul and Family Table, was based on recipes that we had created together or that had started with my grandmother and then my mother. 
And so that sort of just flowed naturally out of being a family. So wait, what, tell me about your grandmother. Where was she from? How did she cook? Did she cook so, for you? Did you cook at her? Were you like at her elbow? My grandmother was an amazing cook, and she did a lot of Jewish cooking, a lot of desserts, you know, really kind of interesting desserts. Like she would make like rugala and I she'd make rugula. pies. My my grandfather was a farmer and mm. in the produce business. So he always had all of these fresh, he, they had a peach tree and they had fresh apples. So she would bake pies from scratch. And actually when I was a little bit on the young side to kind of really follow in her. I enjoyed her cooking, but my sister Lori would sit there and just watch her and take notes. And so she really sort of kept a lot of her recipes, along with my mother, obviously, as well. When I was growing up, my grandmother apparently was a good cook. Again, I was too young, but I still remember the things that she made were not sweets. They were not regular. They were like gefilte fish. Oh, and yeah. I would see this Yuck. jelly beige <laughs> thing and, you know, I would look at it and sort of yeah. uh, turn away. And my father was like, that is the taste of my childhood. Right, you I know, guess. It's sort yeah. of like respect it. I'm like, I, it's very hard for me to respect something that, you know, jiggles and... Yeah, peach pie is a better taste <laughs> of childhood, easier. I think, to refer back to. <laughs> much easier. And when you were cooking to do the book together, mm -hmm. did each of you come up with recipes? Like, what was that, what was that so like? That, so the first book was Paul and Family Table. The mm -hmm. next book, Mostly Plants, and that name was taken from my brother's haiku that he wrote about eat foods, not too much, mostly plants. And um, You should say that again really slowly because I feel like that is the mantra of today and it's the mantra that is going to keep the planet alive. Well, I hope so. I mean, I feel like, you know, we were talking about his eat foods, mostly plants, not too much, or maybe it's not too much, mostly plants. I can't remember which order it goes into, but it is the way we all eat. But since the book came out, I mean, obviously there's so many people who are vegetarian, who are vegan, who are flexitarian, although they didn't necessarily know that they were flexitarian. I think that that was something that we kind of introduced the idea of what flexitarian is to a lot of people. And will you define that for people who don't know what that is? So flexitarian is kind of like a flexible way of eating. It's primarily vegetarian, primarily plant-based, but with a more relaxed way of looking at it. If you are out to dinner and someone's serving you something that you can eat it, you know, you can have a piece of chicken or you can have a piece of steak even. So what's your version of flexitarian? So I was vegetarian for most of my life. I became vegetarian when I was around 15. Stayed vegetarian through my first pregnancy. Wait, why were you, why, what were your choices like why at 15? So I had my monthly subscription to 17 Magazine and I was leafing through it and there was an article about vegetarianism. And I mean, I knew what it was, but I just was kind of looking at it and it seemed so interesting to me. And I had always had a very kind of emotional relationship with meat. I loved meat. I loved it. I loved how my mother cooked it. I loved eating it. But if I ever for a second started thinking through like where it came from, I couldn't eat it. And, you know, we had a lot of pets growing up. So it was just difficult for me. So that was sort of more like my emotional relationship. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to try this. So I, you know, march out of my room and I go to my mother and I say, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> and she's like, okay. And I said, so from now on, I'm not eating meat. She goes, that's fine, but you're going to have to figure that out on your own. I'm not going to be 
preparing special meals just for you. And that lasted literally like a day and a half. (laughs) And then the next thing, you know what I mean? It was just a cornucopia of vegetables on the table. And we started like experimenting with tofu and yeah. So she, she ended up cooking for me. Because of, I mean, thinking back then, um, I remember Saitan, the things that were fake and vegetarian versus just eating more vegetables. It sounds like maybe your family went to eat more vegetables route, which is amazing. But I think that for a long time, the notion of being vegetarian was sort of tainted by the substitute foods. Right. But there was always this fear that you weren't going to get enough protein, thinking that you needed so much more protein actually than you need, and that you can get protein from vegetables, and and that you had to combine things. That was a big thing. Like you had to eat this with beans and to have a perfect protein. But anyway, so I became vegetarian, stayed vegetarian until I was pregnant with my twins. The first thing I ate, this is so crazy, was an Italian hoagie sandwich. Okay, like I that is going being, all in. I just, it was the pregnancy thing. And I just like had this <gasps> craving for, I don't know, just like salami. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, after I had those twins, I didn't omit meat, but it was, I was much more flexitarian. Mm -hmm. And now I'm pescatarian. I don't eat meat. So primarily vegetarian, but I I eat fish. Yeah. I find it hard as a, as an omnivore. I love everything and I don't eat very much meat just because of the planet. Like I feel like you have to vote every single day with every single thing that you do whether it's what you're eating or drinking or who you're supporting, um, you know, what farms you're supporting. And I have a weirdly a weakness for chicken, but I think chicken because it's a canvas for, in so many cultures, right. for delicious flavor. Yeah, and, and it's easy to, I mean, when you it's cook easy with cheap. chicken and you can make it taste so many different ways. So many ways. Yeah. And like, I'd love to cross over to have more goat, rabbit, venison, things beyond right. chicken pork, beef, salmon, shrimp. Yeah. Like if you can open your mind to that. Exactly. As so many cultures around the world do. Right. And then if you really want to go far. Insects. How'd you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's the next thing. It's the next thing. (laughs) I did try it once. Ants at um, did no. you go to Noma? Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be Noma. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't for me. <laughs> no, so Noma is this incredible restaurant in Copenhagen, and the chef is Rene Redzepi, and he's very famous for looking at the landscape around him and then creating meals from the landscape. And that right. could be like, he's the first one who made me think, yeah, why is it that rosemary is an herb, but pine is a tree? So why would you eat a fish, but you wouldn't eat an ant? I mean, I feel like I have the answer to that question. But I was... Um, not a lot of meat on that end. <laughs> no. <laughs> and also, I, I have to tell you, it's not a flavor thing because they taste like lemon, but it's a texture thing. Like The texture, I, that crunch. The, the crunch and the leg. I was eating something and like the leg got stuck. Ew. And I'm like, ew. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't so good. I was with Kylie Kwong in Australia and she works with an organic insect, insect farm. Really? Yeah, so you couldn't, right? It makes sense because it's um, indigenous to Australia. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to cook the food of her people and she wanted to cook with insects she could trust. Yeah. 
So she didn't know them my name, but <laughs> but she knew what they'd been fed. Yeah. No, well, I mean, that's with everything, you sort of have to approach it from that place. So does that mean that you focus on vegetable forward restaurants or not so much? Like you can go, you'll go anywhere and I'll go assume, anywhere. And yeah. I have to say, that's the other thing about, you know, we did this cookbook and, you know, so many people would say to us, but how do I do that? How do I go out to dinner? How do I, I mean, we're so lucky being here in New York. I mean, I can't think of one restaurant where you would go where there wasn't some exciting plant forward option in New York City, in LA, in the big cities, in Chicago. And I think it's becoming more and more everywhere. And I love going to good restaurants and I'll travel for food. I'm always going to Brooklyn. I'm going downtown and I'll go to these great restaurants. And you just say either I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan, and they'll whip up some amazing, I never feel like I'm, I'm missing out. That must have changed over time, though, because I think it has. I remember so clearly, you know, when I was at her food and wine going, the vegetable option was essentially they took the side dish and yes. took three side dishes and put them on one plate. And it's like, so it's a steamed broccoli and it's a mashed potato. And the and, wild rice. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, this. Well, it, like, like wanna... it was depressing. It was or like depressing. the soup, like, can't you just make a soup that doesn't have chicken stock in it, you know? But it's so different now. I mean, that also reminds me of the um, the restaurants you would go to, and you'd say you're vegetarian, mm-hmm. and they'd say, "Oh, well, that's great." And you say, "So the the soup that you just suggested, I have, you know, what's in it?" And they're like, "Well, it has a little chicken stock, but that doesn't matter, right?" A little, a little chicken. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, always, a little, it's a little, just a little touch, right? And there's no, you don't see the bones. You're like, "Well, it's, I'm not anti-bone, right? <laughs> I just don't eat chicken." <laughs> And now also I think because there's so many food allergies that there is a much greater awareness. I think the technology also has helped so much. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to a restaurant and you make a reservation on Resi or Open Table or Seven Rooms, they ask you in advance, do you have any either allergies or restrictions? restrictions?" And so you're not saying to the waiter who really has no idea you know, they're going to have to go back to the kitchen and find out what's in the dish. Right. They know in advance, and they're better prepared for you. Exactly. I, and I feel like that communication has made it so much easier on the diner. So I also will travel anywhere for food. Mm-hmm. I mean, really anywhere. No, me too, like countries. So how much cooking do you do? Like, you have four kids? I have four kids. Not in the, in the house anymore, but... I what? have one in the house still, and two who live in New York, so they are probably... I'll get like another two nights. I'd say I cook four nights a week. I do, yeah, Monday through Thursday. Friday, we usually go out. Saturday, we go out. And then Sunday, a lot of times we'll order in. So I'd say four nights I'm cooking. That's a lot of cooking, actually. It is. I really like cooking. I find it almost like a meditation for me. It's relaxing and I like just sort of that solitude Mm -hmm. and there's something just so exciting about, I love doing new things, just something coming together and it being really good and you all sit down and and everyone's excited about it. It feels like a creative experience for me. So where do you find your recipes? I'll get an idea in my head. I mean, I just recently sort of recooked my way through mostly plants because I was getting a little disappointed with some of the recipes. Sometimes if I go online and I do blogs, there's some that I can really count on that are, you know, that are great. Like Minimalist Baker, always good. Cookie and Kate, always good. 
So I'll go to the blogs that I really kind of depend on time and time again. New York Times, I always go to that cooking app. I love that. And I know the... Sam or... Yeah. I have just so many. The Melissa Clark I love. She's great. And those are very dependable. So I'll come up with an idea and then I'll like kind of Google and I'll just, you know, I want to do something with this and then I'll Google and then I'll find like three recipes and I'll kind of combine them all. It's always out of paranoia. I'm like, well... It's not that I combine the three because I'm not quite that confident. It's more like, let's say I'm making sweet potatoes Uh and I find some recipes. Right. I'll do one set of sweet potatoes one way and take the other half and do them another way because if one half doesn't work out, then the other one's bound to work out. It's pure paranoia. (laughs) And when I was at, at Food and Wine, I was a very timid cook. And after Food and Wine, I've become so much of a better cook because I just, I'm so much more relaxed about it not having to be perfect and right. Right. And so I'm like, you actually can't go that far wrong. And so I'm much gutsier with everything. I cook all the time and every and I had everyone coming over for dinner. And there was it was an Instagram like account. And this person posted the recipe on the the post and I thought Oh, okay. So I printed it up. I was like a little, and it was kind of like, it was Asian and it looked kind of complicated, but it looked really good. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to try this. And as I'm making it, I'm having my doubts. And it actually was, and I can't remember the last time this has happened, but it was like a complete fail. Like terrible. It was horrible. It fell apart. It didn't taste good. And my kids were coming over and I was like, we're ordering in Chinese food. <laughs> they were like, what? And I said, yeah, I made something. It was really bad. And they were like, no, there's no way. Can we see it? Can we taste it? And they all t- took a fork and they were like, it's not terrible. And I was like, right, but you didn't come over for it's not terrible. <laughs> <We're> not terrible. <laughs> but this Chinese food's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. So, I mean, that was like, wow. I mean, that can just happen, you know. Every once in a while, I'll... I mean, I cook from cookbooks all the time, and I often cook from cookbooks of friends or Mm -hmm. people I admire, as you do. And I was particularly cooking from one cookbook because I wanted to support this particular Mm -hmm. person. I'm like, this is going to be so good because I'll make it, and then I'll share it. It'll be so good for me, but them as well. And they left an ingredient out. And I'm not so wise that I figured that out until you know it was finished. And I texted them. And I was like, I made this dish, but it seems like maybe there was a mistake. And they're like, yeah, there was. I'm like, what do you mean, yeah, there was? Like, Wow. Yeah. That's, and it was a published it book? It was a book. It was a beautiful book. And I think that the next <laughs> edition had an erotic. They like fixed they, it. Yeah. But they didn't fix it in time to put one of those slips of paper in that says, wow. you know, there's a mistake here. That must here. have been so frustrating for them because you do yeah. so much testing. I mean, exactly. that's the beauty of having for authors because- we all would test them, and then we send it out to a tester. So yeah, that's great. It would be very hard for something like that to get by. But if it was just you, and then one tester, I could see how that could happen. It's like a math problem, and it's hard when you've written it. It's kind of like you don't stop, and when you're reading someone else's, that's when you really can see the mistakes because you just kind of put in the word that you think is there when you're reading it, and. So that's also, we would also do a lot of, not just of the cooking and tasting, we would also edit it. 
Yeah. We'd edit each other's. And my mother's like such a brilliant editor. You'd almost be like, okay, mom, will you look now? And <laughs> you just knew it was going to come back. Just You thought it was perfect. It would be like a million red lines. And she'd be like, honey, that's so great. I just had a few things I found. So what's your very favorite thing to make? So I go through different stages, but I love Mexican food. I really do. And I feel like there's so many different things you can do when you're cooking Mexican. Even if you don't eat meat, lots of plant-based things. I'll make like a Mexican spice mix and mix it with olive oil and then and then mix all the vegetables with it and roast it and, you know, put it over cauliflower rice. Or, you know, so it's just like you can add so many different ingredients and, and they taste completely different. So on set, do you have to change your whole eating on TV, movie sets? Yeah, you kind of do. I mean, it depends on where you are. If you're working in the city, I just did something not that long ago and I was working in the city. And, you know, when they say, okay, come back in an hour and you're in lower Manhattan, no problem. Right. But yeah, it's still a little old fashioned when you get on a set and you're, and also there's all the craft service, which is so tempting. And so what do they serve at craft service? Well, it depends on where you are, but a lot of times it's like there's a lot of chips and candy and bars, and and I don't really snack. I'm not a big snacker, but your hours are so Mm -hmm. wacky. So even if you don't snack, you know, you get there at whatever, 5.30 in the morning, you're ready for lunch, but they're not going to serve lunch. You know, so, so you're just kind of eating at weird hours, so you end up grazing at the craft service table. All the snack stuff. Yeah. I've been on Beat Bobby Flay a bunch or Top Chef a bunch. And Beat Bobby I Flay, there's... I Top Chef yeah, so top, much. Top Chef is fun. It's so great. Uh, but there, you're about to eat food because that's the show. Mm-hmm. And so, in theory, you'd want to go hungry. But on set, you're really taking a bite. And right. Like you're, you're not having You're thinking and thing. talking. Yeah, they have one bite. Yep. And then you're And done. is it hot? It, well, that's a very good question. I mean, the, the answer is they they want it to be hot. Right. Because what can go wrong and taste not great when something's yes. room temp that's yeah. meant to be hot? It ruins their opportunity. Right. Um, right. So they try yeah. is the answer. But I would pass all those craft services, and it's so upstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Because you know, on set, you're eating something that's so creative and interesting. Gourmet, and then... Yeah. On the other side, you've got like nature's bounty, or exactly, exactly, you know, or like bunch of pretzels, right? Yeah, Twizzlers. I do leave with the Twizzlers. I love Twizzlers. I love Twizzlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great to get to spend some time with you and go back through all of our common. Exactly, we have so many. Both of us growing up in New York gives you a lot of common ground. It does, and that we are weirdly the exact same age. I know. We don't need to tell anybody what that age is, but I'm sure if they have the same Google abilities (laughs) that you and I have, they can figure it out pretty quickly. (laughs) Well, have a great next Plant Forward meal. Thank you. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning. 